0: and welcome back to dollars and dragons today we have legal kimchi legal kimchi if you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself
1: well hello there i'm legal kimchi although you can call me kimchi um i'm a youtube video essayist who primarily makes video essays with regards to TTRPG topics and things related to that. Although I kind of dabble in a couple of different things, depending upon my mood. I have been a consultant on TTRPG products. Uh, I've worked on an Elf and Orc Have a Little Baby and its sequel as a sensitivity reader. And uh, excited working with you (laughs) in some upcoming projects we're going to talk about a little later. And very happy to be here
0: yeah thank you so much kimchi for for coming on um and just so everybody knows uh kimchi is an actual attorney who just kind of dabbles in the tabletop role-playing space uh like many tabletop people because it's it's kind of difficult to make a living uh within tabletop which is actually a major topic of our podcast here is figuring out how to make a living and like transform our hobbies into our full-time jobs um and with that being said let's kind of segue because um not a lot of my guests necessarily have kids uh I have kids and I want to talk about with you, like being a parent and being a content creator. And for you, because you work as an attorney and um, you have kids, how do you, what's your schedule normally look like? And when do you find time in order to create content?
1: I always felt that I would never sacrifice um, time with my kids for pretty much anything. Okay. Like I would, I would sacrifice time from work before time with my kids. Um, Part, part of the reason why I stopped doing, uh, cause I used to be a trial attorney is because I kept having to go to these areas all across the state and I live in Texas. It's a huge state. Um, so I'd be in hotel rooms, you know, 300 miles away from home and not being able to interact with my kids and I was like this is not what I want so I switched uh jobs and kind of careers uh, in a manner of speaking from doing trial work to doing like contract negotiation um because I wanted to be close to my kids and the same was true for content creation I I never want that to dip too much into my time with my children um it helps that I don't sleep <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> like it, like not in a sense of like, Oh, I can't get to sleep in the sense of like, I don't like sleeping.
0: Right. Spend more time with your children with this one easy hack.
1: Um, I, I literally sleep five to six hours a night. Um, oh, okay. I've experimented with trying to sleep less. I like, have mm-hmm. looked into like polyphasic sleep and all this other stuff to try to sleep less and less and less. And I've come to realize that if I sleep less than five hours a night, um, but if mm-hmm. I sleep five to six hours a night, I I function absolutely normally. I don't get sick. um, I get enough rest and I wake up naturally. Um, So the time that I have is generally speaking between like 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. And some of that time I spend with my my partner. You know, we watch a movie or something like that. Um, So if you're curious, if you visit my YouTube channel and you're like, hey, this person only put out like a video every two to three months. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, you know, there's a lot of intensive work in content creation and I want to make sure that it's of a certain quality. I don't have the amount of time that would allow me to keep churning out high quality, what I consider high quality content on a regular basis, uh, like on a monthly or weekly basis. You know, it's finding that balance and understanding the realities that come with that balance. My channel would be more successful if I was far more prolific, but that's a balance that I need to come to an understanding with and where my priorities are. I love making content. I absolutely love making content. It's a passion of mine. My partner makes a joke where she states, Your job is your job, your career is content creation because that's where your passions lie. And she knows that. She's incredibly supportive. That also helps. but it's just understanding the realities of time and how much you have or how little you have and working with that uh, and you can. Get upset because you sleep, or you have video games you want to play, or books you want to read, or things like that, and that's fine. Just whatever makes you happy. And for me, it's producing videos.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think a big part of that is, especially when you get into doing it full time. Like, what are you sacrificing? What are you giving up in order to do this? And I think, especially when we're adults and we have kids. I have three kids of my own, and I don't spend as much time with them. As, like, you do, I think um, I'm a little bit less hands on as a parent. Um, and that's just my, that's just who I am. But um, I think that, as far as like when I choose, where I choose to use my time, that's an intentional choice. That's something that I have intentionally. Chosen for myself. I don't, for instance, play many video games anymore. And that's an intentional choice that I made because I'm looking at how much time would I be playing video games if I was playing them as much as I used to. And it would be 10 to maybe 40 hours a week, um, like when I was younger, of course, you know, as I got a little bit older and I'm like deciding where do I want to be in one year from now? Where do I want to be in five years from now? And what do I have to sacrifice in order to get there? And what do I want to create that's going to make me feel a prolonged sense of happiness rather than distract me from... The shitty job that I don't like anymore. You know what I mean. As soon as I made as much, um, I did my my shitty job in content creation and being a pro GM. I quit my job right away. Not the wisest decision, but like you know, that's that's where like my heart has been. Is I wanted to be a storyteller and like engage with people and build a community and stuff like that. So for you, I think your youtube career i have watched with great interest because you remind me of someone like fd signifier or uh h bomber guy uh who who creates these very interesting like you write an entire paper essentially and then you turn that into a video form so that it's consumable which i find to be very interesting how did you who would you say that you base your style on and who you take inspiration from
1: some incredibly generous wonderful people referred to me as uh like a philosophy
0: tube of DD. and
1: that
0: that's spot on actually
1: <laughs> i wanted to crawl into a, a ball and just cry because that was so like because she's been an inspiration to me for quite some time which is really funny the first time I started watching philosophy tube. I bounced off of it. I just, it didn't, it didn't hook me. Right. Um, but I got into video essayist like most people, I, I would imagine like with your Lindsay Ellis and your Contrapoints points and um, H bomber guy. And uh, you know, a couple of things coalesced at the same time. So I was a fan of this content and I've always been a rather uh, analytical person. And so I saw this stuff. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I like this form of content. I didn't know this was a thing. Um, This is a phenomenal design. It's a, it's a more engaging way of doing a paper And I was always interested in um, kind of the the area where different styles of writing meet prose, essays, like collections of essays and stuff like that. I was always interested in that um, because it always felt to me like you can say something that's not poetry and it's not a narrative, but it's not entirely like a history textbook or a textbook type entertaining prose. That's not a story, like a fiction story. That was an interesting uh, way to go about it. I had always wanted to start a YouTube channel. There's actually a YouTube channel that I started like a decade ago with like a video on it, maybe two. I started with a friend of mine. We never made any videos for it. I didn't go anywhere. And, uh, you know, when we hit 2020 pandemic hit And so many people were stuck. Um, I needed something to do. Like so many people, so many YouTube channels came up from that. And so I was like, well, I could take a swing at it. And I didn't start making video essays. I started um, making videos that were just kind of D&D advice videos, like DM advice videos, um, inspired by people like Matt Coville and stuff like that. But, uh, but I didn't want to regurgitate the same advice that other people were giving. And there were only a few things that I thought were really interesting ideas convey. And from my experience of like 20 years plus of DMing that hadn't been already tread by someone else. And so it was when, when, um, Keep Mysteries came out and there was this big hullabaloo about the, Oh, there's a wheelchair accessible dungeon. And a lot of people got weirdly upset about that. I was like, why are people upset about this? This is weird. And all of the arguments that people were making were silly to me. And I'm a person who makes arguments for a living. Like, (laughs) like that's my You felt your
0: calling right then. You felt it. It was
1: was a moment where I was like, all of these arguments are garbage. I am going to point out why. (laughs) And, That that was kind of the inspiration because to to be perfectly honest with you, I thought of like just unlisting or deleting the first like ten videos on my channel because it really came into its own with that video where Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is what I should be doing because I don't want to be just another face giving DM advice uh, online. I think I can offer something else that instigated uh, making videos is basically mixing the two favorite things that I have, which are like video essays and. tabletop rpg
0: a lot of youtubers do do that though um once they change if they change take their channel in a certain direction they will unlist their earlier videos are you mm-hmm. thinking, you think you're going to keep them around for forever?
1: Like some of them I will, I will probably keep around for quite some time. And you know, it's, it's almost nostalgic and mm-hmm. funny for me to watch yeah. <laughs> some of my older videos. Not that I watched my, many of my older videos before that time, but it was like, like, it's weird because like when you talk to a, a video person, like a YouTuber, when I talk to other YouTubers, like watching your old videos, the thing that we talk about is like, yeah, I, I I didn't quite get the lighting design right, and my audio was just <laughs> unreal. It
0: was the technical weird. stuff, yeah. yeah.
1: We we always we always go te- technical. We, we're we're most of us are gearheads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> literally, any time I post about, um, oh, I'm filming. Like I, I tweeted that I was filming my video the other day, and yeah. somebody posted, "Is like, what's your lighting setup?" And I was like, "Oh, I got <laughs> two, I got two softbox lights. Yeah. One is a uh, a rear rim light, and the first one is a the main light, and then I have a fill light, which is an LED. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this is the kind of stuff that we get into. Video production is its own thing. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. three different hobbies mixed to one. And, uh, that's the kind of stuff that I think about when I look at my old videos, I I don't have a problem with what it was, but it was one of those things where it's like, would I watch this because I didn't watch a lot of DM advice videos because I've been doing it for 20 plus years and, you know, know, once in a while I'll come across an idea I haven't heard of, but I'm kind of, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I've been doing it for a while. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I'm old, <laughs> but, um, and I've been playing this game since I learned how to read. So, mm-hmm. Like I'm a second generation player. My dad taught me how to play. Okay. Cause he learned back in the day. And so like, I don't watch a lot of DM advice videos when, when the turn happened and I started making the video essays, I was like, I would watch this channel. Right. And I think, I think that sort of passion that sort of is something that translates. And I think it translates into the views as well. Cause when I made that switch, I mean, the views literally went 200, a hundred, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: yeah it's so. It's weird. It's like when you, Really double down on and this is a basic like business thing that I always have to tell people when you double down on like your strength, your passion that really shines through to people. And when you do like what you're personally very good at and you love, like people really appreciate that for sure. And that's, that's really cool that you were rewarded in that way, um, and you got your, your learning videos out of the way. What was it? Was it like a year or two before you made the wheelchair video, or?
1: It was actually um, not that long. It was like, because I, I started in October of 2020, and I made the the wheelchair accessible dungeon video January of 2021. Oh, okay, okay. So, because it was a weekly cadence. I was releasing videos every right. week.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah
1: but they were a bunch shorter. they were like five minute videos or eight minute right. videos, you know, cause you, when you start off something like this. I don't know about you. I'm a researcher. I was researching everything. It was like thumbnails yeah. are important. Shorter yeah. videos do better because people can watch them easily digestible and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, make it fun, make it poppy, all that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I was trying to follow a lot of that advice. Some of the advice, great for reasons. Some folks don't realize mm-hmm. when they're giving the advice, like an F2 signifier. I bring them up because you mentioned it beforehand. Like when you're a POC and you put your picture on the thumbnail,
0: right? That's
1: not always a thing that Good people thing. click no. on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you know uh sad but true so you know um, i i remember you know, him talking about that specifically about in regards to the uh bo burnham video he put his face on there for the first day i believe and then he A B tested it with bo burnham and of course bo burnham recognizable but also white thing blew up so yeah. um uh, i think it's because obviously if you you say that you're talking about the bo burnham or whatever video then people know what it is i i is it that people are it's people are racist. <laughs> Look, look that's it i was look, like halfway through that question i was like no people are
1: racist. here's the thing that people i think need to realize about stuff like that are people racist yeah people are racist does that mean that they're walking around with like white hoods in their closets or anything no 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 not like that you gotta understand that when when somebody says something like you're doing racist stuff or that's racist or something of that nature that doesn't necessarily mean you're you're automatically a nazi or something like that it just means that um you know Hey, what you just did, conscious or unconscious, something you may want to examine, okay? Because what's the origin of it? Because I can say plainly, Like if I was to look at myself five, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, especially I had many notions, uh, specifically of like LGBT people, which would be homophobic or transphobic. So yeah, at that point in my life and I wasn't going around committing hate crimes or anything like that or calling people names, there were thoughts and ideas in my head that I hadn't unlearned yet that I hadn't, uh, that I was still ignorant about. So uh, people need to stop getting so defensive when something like that gets said, uh, and use it as an opportunity to learn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I'm right there with you. Um as a 13-year veteran of the Marine Corps, I have probably thought or expressed a lot of immensely like homophobic, transphobic, or racist ideas in my in my day and that's just part of being I think culturally brought up a certain way in my case military is really um, in a lot of ways if not white supremacist but it is built on the backs of those structures just like a lot of the uh, police establishments and the way that it really forced um, because if you look at the spread of like especially uh, officers um, of color and how like that whole dichotomy works and how the traditions work and everything It's old white guys. It's old white guys that built up the officer culture and like the military culture and everything like that. So and a lot of what I remember now about being in the military and its culture was about erasing your sense of self, perhaps for a good reason, in some cases, but other reasons, there's no good justification for it. Like, for instance, what reason... Was there for black women to not be able to braid their hair? Like until pretty recently, there's no reason except racism.
1: Yeah. It's conforming to a standard created by a very specific culture. And any time that you do that, um, you're inherently creating circumstances that are either discriminatory or you can give a predilection towards one type of person. And, you know, you can use the military as an example, or the police as an example. You can use the law, in courts and trials as an example. Like, why is it that we have to wear suits? Like it's required. You can get thrown in contempt or thrown out of a courtroom if you're not wearing a suit and tie. Oh, really? A, okay.
0: Well,
1: it depends on the judge, um, <laughs> but uh, you can get judge thrown. if
0: they cool it right? up,
1: <laughs> well, there were some, there were some judges where it's like, if you came in you wouldn't have a suit, or if you didn't have a jacket and tie that they would throw you out of the courtroom. Well, mm. there's a couple of things that come of issue of that one jacket and tie inherently, Western European style clothing. I was wearing traditional cultural clothing. uh, It's considered cultural clothing. Like I only should be wearing that on other occasions. I couldn't wear that to court. What do you think they wear to court (laughs) or what do you think they wore to trials in other cultures at different times, you know, and it also, you know, gender presentation, uh, you know, being a a cis male going in with a suit and tie. uh, Okay, fine. If we're going to conform, but you know, does that apply to non-binary people or gender? gender fluid people, you know, if I came in to the courtroom looking as I do in a, in a suit dress, um, would that be allowed? A person who the judge would assume is uh, a woman walks in like that no big deal. But if I were to do that, and if that judge were to look at me, wait a minute, you look like a man, you should be dressed like a man, you know, little things like that.
0: What and if you, can... you were overseeing a case about, uh, I don't know, let's say like, uh, drag rights, <laughs> that would be, uh, uh, considered to be a political statement, would it be?
1: I live in Texas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to do that. You're not.
1: I'm going to say it again i live in
0: texas
1: (laughs) there are many things that i love about texas that's not one of them (laughs) yeah barbecue Mm. is phenomenal here
0: (laughs) yeah How? well okay riddle me this what's your um as the crow flies how far away are you from joe rogan now
1: oof um well i live in a suburb of austin so
0: okay okay um, okay
1: i I don't know where his (laughs) house is i don't care to know where his house is (laughs) Um, I did find out that I'm apparently in the same area as like Asmongold.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah, because he has a frightening box. Yeah. Um, listed on his Twitch page. Okay, And I was like, that's my post office. Like, that's <laughs> that's the post office I go to. <laughs> right. Oh man, I might see this dude at HEB or something. Uh, <laughs> I just want to get my frosted flakes in peace. <laughs>
0: yeah i i feel like i feel like Gold probably just orders everything and or um is very unintimidating in person so i think you are be good Who knows?
1: Who knows? <laughs> I, I think i'm unintimidating but uh, people have told me that yeah I, that i'm somewhat intimidating which is weird. how tall are you i'm like five eight. Oh okay i'm super
0: average yeah average height. yeah <laughs> average height for a masculine person um yeah, uh, interesting. No, it's PJ. I, intimidating, I think, just means most people's minds is like serious, and like you're not necessarily serious all the time, but like I think you take a lot of care about what you say, and you're and when you talk, it doesn't seem as casual <laughs> because you are a lawyer. So it's how you're like you're that's because you talk like that so often that I think is why. But okay,
1: okay, you have to understand that there is a difference between content creation kimchi uh-huh. live stream content creation kimchi
0: mm-hmm.
1: and me yelling at somebody in call of duty kimchi <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: i i haven't been exposed to call of duty kimchi so i mean look
1: um i once saw i heard an insult on call of duty that cut me man you suck you play like you had a good job a wife and two kids <laughs> and i was like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, too accurate, too accurate.
0: <laughs> it was the uh, worst
1: insult I've ever received.
0: <laughs> wow. Right on the nose. Gotcha. Right, I was just like, oh my goodness. Did, no, did you too- respond like, actually, I'm an attorney and I have a loving wife and children. Thank you.
1: <laughs> no, I, I like I couldn't. I lost all of my articulate articulation at that point. I was just like, too true, too true. <laughs> um. Uh, my life is fantastic. It hurts so bad. No, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. it's, 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 um, it's hilarious because i am terrible at video games because of what you said like i don't i don't play video games that much mm-hmm. because i don't have the time um yeah if it boils down to it like what am i gonna do i, I haven't read like a novel for fun months almost years
0: i listen if, to audiobooks yeah, yeah that's I, my promise
1: i will occasionally listen to an audiobook, but a lot of the reading that i do is research for videos so yeah gonna, I, well I, I
0: believe that yeah i've seen the bibliography on your videos yeah. <laughs> like the academic papers yes Mm
1: -hmm. um you know textbooks literal textbooks i have a literal textbook over there for an upcoming video and i'm reading through it it's like who i wasn't that kid i wasn't that guy in college who's like enjoyed reading textbooks but here i am a grown person yeah buying textbooks
0: (laughs) how far you have fallen (laughs) College U would be disgusted. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unacceptable. (laughs) If if College U saw you right now, would they continue? It's, It's one of
1: those things where, especially in the beginning of content creation, you have to realize the marathon. You have to realize that you're not necessarily going to explode instantly and be able to quit your job and pay your bills. I've been doing this for two years. I'm not even close. Uh and people talk about, oh wow, you have thousands of subscribers on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, I have like six that I made from that last month. <laughs> okay. It, it's kind of the classic, um, I, I I have my job, I have my day job and It allows me to do this. And would I love to make that turn? Would I love to be able to become a full-time content creator? Yeah. You know, it would be amazing to be able to focus on that. I'd get a lot more videos done. I had a lot more content out and I'd just have more fun during my day because I do enjoy it. It is work. What's weird is that, you know, in this period for the last two years, I gave myself a job (laughs) <laughs> where I just play well, and
0: I call it fun, you know, yeah, it's
1: still work. There is still time where like, I stare at the screen. And I'm just like, I don't want to edit a video right now.
0: Yeah, no, I, f- I feel that super hard with writing and tabletop. And like when I said I was going to get into it and like doing shows and things like that. And it's not always easy. Or I, sometimes I have to force myself to keep going. And, you know, with the The projects that i'm doing and like me doing now the website and the podcast and the newsletter and everything it can be a lot especially because of the day job and like how do i find the ability to disconnect and come back and still be passionate about it um i saw jasmine uh post about this pretty recently and she said you know people ask me how i maintain motivation I just, you know, come back when I feel motivated again. So I think for a lot of people, if they're going to go that route and they're going to go into content creation specifically or a creative life, I should say in general, Mm -hmm. it weeds, it weeds people out by itself. Like you don't, the only thing you have to prove somebody to is yourself because it's you. It's a very lonely occupation. It's a very lonely endeavor.
1: It is. It is. Um, like my content creation is a solo project and you don't even think about all the different decisions that go into any creative project. Like anytime you watch a video on YouTube, every second of that video, every, image on the screen, every sound that you hear is intentional, is not random. You know, it's a choice. You're seeing a million different choices every minute of a video, you know. For me, you know, I don't have a production team. It's just me. My camera person, a tripod, you know, yeah. (laughs) The like I set up my lights, I set up my camera, I sit down, I get in costume. Costume designed by me. Um, you know, have you have
0: you joined the union yet? (laughs) You should
1: (laughs) You know uh, this owner. He's uh, he's not allowing as many bathroom breaks as he really should. Um, yeah. you
0: haven't started peeing in bottles yet, have you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good yeah, grade. my boss really needs me to get this get this video done. Yeah. Can't leave. But uh,
1: you know, and the the editing process, the writing process, the research process. When you look at people like h bomber guy or philosophy tube or whatever that's a team of people sort of behind the scenes and a lot of the work is done by the individual on on the screen there are a team of people there and uh it's like a production company you know you look at critical mm-hmm. role it's like a production company yeah uh, well i'm not there yet it, it's a production meet um yeah. <laughs> and uh that's you know people are like why yeah i wish you would make more videos me too
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i remember going through this process when i was or having this stage this growth spurt with jasmine when um she was looking for a little bit more help because she was right at the cusp she needs to hire someone in order to meet her demands because she's get she gets pulled in so many different directions for all these different gigs like as a host and then you know she's sometimes she's a host or she she needs to stream that's where her income comes from it's it's from streaming and so she has to stream a certain amount of time and that's her job and then she has to go and do all these different gigs so when I first started working with her it was how do we find the right people to work with Jasmine in order to speed up her process and not waste her time. Because mm-hmm. she has a creative vision that she, you know, focuses on and she tries to um, imprint onto all of her work. And she does a majority of the work still, but she will push off some of the work off to an editor or something like that. Um, I, I don't know how much... Uh, what the split is anymore for her. It's only what she can't do because Jasmine's a workaholic. So (laughs) she's very, I would say, and invested in her own creative vision. And that's who she is as a person, which makes her so fascinating to talk to and work with. But she's right there.
1: You sort of have to be. You know, you have to have a little bit of that. I mean, she does, and it's funny because I I see these folks in the TTRPG space. There are times where I'm like, I just make videos. Like, what's (laughs) (laughs) the fact that anybody watches my stuff is still like jarring. You know, you're still getting used to it. I I I talked about this on Twitter briefly. I got recognized in public.
0: Oh yeah, that's weird, isn't it? I got recognized too in public. (laughs) I was like, how do you know me?
1: And and it was it was in a tabletop gaming place. Yeah. Apropos, um. But uh it was so weird and it was amazing, but I don't I don't have a huge audience. Yeah, you know, and uh I, I've I, I say that, like in my brain, I'm still the kimchi that has a hundred subscribers, you know. Yeah and like you know, the fifty diehards that always watch the videos. And mm-hmm. I've got like I'm I am annoyingly close to four thousand subscribers right
0: now. Oh yeah. Uh, um cause... you'll probably be over by the time this one comes out in December. But it, you know, you should subscribe to Legal Kimchi and check out some of those videos.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and if you would like more videos after you've seen them and were like, you know what? I wish this person would quit their job and start making <laughs> more of these videos I love. Patreon.com slash legal kimchi. There you um... there you go.
0: <laughs> there you go. It'll be in the it'll be in the show description for sure. Let's talk about uh bioessentialism. This is one of the first videos I saw of yours. Maybe I saw the wheelchair accessibility one beforehand, but I remember this one especially was one that grew your channel by quite a bit. If you do, if you don't want to. Don't mind uh, going into like what initially inspired it and what your challenges were in both making it and looking back on it, how it has sort of shaped your channel.
1: Well, it was inspired by, uh, which is weird considering (laughs) the origin of orcs.
0: Which for our audience, who doesn't know?
1: Okay. So the origin of orcs uh, in the Tolkien sense created the orcs, based them Mongolians, uh, specifically the Mongol hordes, which side note, horde is simply the mongol turkic word <laughs> um, wow that was a fun why, fact that's why they keep calling them the mongol hordes it's not just mm. because horde is a a mass of people no right. it's just the different languages word for our army nice, um, okay and and it's not conjecture this is not uh oh i see parts of mongolian uh culture in the orcs or he literally said it in a letter that he based the orcs on mongols mm um mongolians and uh and so this is and it's funny because you you still have people who are uh tolkien apologists on this saying no he, he didn't mean it like that and i was like he, he said that he meant it like that like i don't understand what
0: you <laughs> like, gonna argue with the ghost of J.R.R. tolkien
1: <laughs> i'm and and because people you know if you if you are seen to be attacking or slighting people's heroes. They get weird. Right. And I saw people in denial about the way that racial tropes or racism plays in and out of fantasy literature and D&D as a as a byproduct of that. And I was like, wait a minute, like it's it the evidence is there. We just need to go into it and talk about. It. What's funny about that video, I never know if a video is gonna pop off and explode. I don't know which videos are gonna do great or which do poorly I've made guesses previously. None of them have panned out.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Know?
1: So I didn't know it was going to be a thing. I tried to make something that I thought was interesting, put a catchy thumbnail on it and call it a day. Yeah. Um, it seemed to, you know, kind of touch a nerve. We have this cyclical conversation in TTRPGs about the whole inherently evil trope. I have yet to hear an argument in favor of it that is compelling. And so many people bring up like, well, devils are clearly inherently evil, right? It's in their being. <laughs> because <laughs> like let, let's talk about devils and angels right right let, let's talk about who, that who from determines a person, from a, from a person who has a background in studying theology with the jesuits mm-hmm. you know i've 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 researched this sort of thing i've studied this sort of thing uh, and the basic story of it, it was, who was who's the devil he was right? an angel Yeah, he was an angel. Mm -hmm. So apparently that didn't make him inherently good. And his devil nature was because of his actions, not because of something inherent to himself.
0: Right. Not something that they were born with.
1: So even in the circumstance of the story of angels and demons, bioessentialism still doesn't fit into the story. You know, it's so much easier for the heroes because there's such a catharsis when you kill something that's inherently evil. Have you ever played Wolfenstein? Because you feel real good (laughs) shooting up (laughs) Nazis in that game. Like it's fantastic. Like yeah. my father and I have this sort of joke, nothing better than often Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> I grew up in the age where the World War II video game was the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about you. I feel more comfortable with the idea of killing Nazis than I do with killing some sort of, even an animal. You know, anything, a a person, a type, a category of human. The the very idea of, oh, but they're not humans. Okay, like pit bulls? People don't like pit bulls, right? They say they're inherently violent. I wouldn't be comfortable killing a bunch of pit bulls, but if you lined up Ten Nazis in a row. We'll hand it over. Let's go. I would go to town. Um, It's it's it doesn't make sense, and it's one of those things where throughout every argument I've ever seen, I've never heard something that was compelling as to why to include bioessentialism. So I was just like, okay, I I can talk about this for forty minutes, and so I did, and it struck a nerve. Some people hated it. Some people said that I was being too sensitive. Right. Um, which I always found hilarious. You're a snowflake. When, and and you, you and I both know this simple truth. Marginalized people get called overly sensitive. And yet the amount of garbage that we take on a daily basis that we just let go because it's not worth it, you know, would, would crush so many people who are calling us snowflakes. It's like, look, I'm just bringing this up sometimes for your safety, because if you keep doing this, I can't guarantee it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much that's that's daily life, I guess. Um, yeah, if if you
1: got really upset and made a scene every time someone did the slightest thing, right. then it's you'd no, have yeah. no time to do anything, right?
0: Exactly, I'd be just being fucking mad all the time. <laughs> yeah i be exactly. fucking mad. Yeah, that's why I, honestly, that's why a lot of the time I don't wear like a dress or anything out in public because I don't, obviously I can still be clocked like as a trans person and I don't want to have that conversation with people. I don't like to have people staring at me. People stare at me all the time in public, even when I'm not dressing like a woman, because I'm starting to look like a woman and I confuse people. Um, you know, it's people fucking stare at me uh, in public. So it's kind of weird. It feels weird.
1: Yeah. And and if you yelled at everybody who stared at you longer than was, Mm -hmm. you know, appropriate, is there an appropriate time frame? Yeah. But you don't. You let it go. And you let so much stuff go.
0: My girlfriend tells me the wildest shit because she's isolated, right? So she's a barista that works in like one of those Mm -hmm. parking lot places. So she's alone is my point most of the time, which gives people the free reign to say the wildest shit to her, like, all the time. Everything from, like, the most vile thing to, like, sexual harassment, to people trying to grab her, to, like, calling her, like, weird stuff, like, chocolate goddess. Over-the-top cringe. But Mm -hmm. it's, like, you know, she, every day, she's, like, she like well, I, because I asked, I asked her, like, hey, what are these weird things that people are telling me? And she did it for a week, and she just told me, like, the weird shit that people tell her. I'm just, like, oh, my god, like, these weirdos in the woods, like, think that they have a chance, like, with that line that's their line like i don't know i don't get it but well, i
1: you know i don't understand it but uh but yeah so like the bioessentialism came out of a very similar genesis as the the wheelchair accessible dungeon video in that mm-hmm i saw a bunch of people making really bad arguments online like if you make a bad argument online i'm probably gonna make a video about it because that bothers me it's Good like a tickle, it's like a tickle in my brain where i'm just like you're wrong and i want to go like 35 minutes on the why you're wrong um and and, and you know i like presenting in that in the video format because one i think it's more fun two yeah. it's not directed. It's not like a bad person because of your argument. And I'm going to get into a Twitter argument directly with you where no one else is going to pay attention to this, except for you and me, because that's going to resolve anything pretty careful with my language and what's telling a ton of people. Well, you said that if I, uh, inherently evil orcs in my game, that I'm racist. No, I actually said the, uh, said that you weren't like, I specifically state this doesn't necessarily make you race. Um, you clearly weren't paying attention. So it's like a dead giveaway because those who aren't paying attention, those who hold on to preconceived notions that they have, they'll give themselves away in the first first yeah. comment, first tweet. Clearly you didn't see it. Clearly you didn't watch it. I didn't you just doubt.
0: made an assumption and you felt defensive because mm-hmm. maybe you feel a little bit of guilt.
1: Because my point isn't to make people feel guilty. My point isn't to attack people. There are other people out there that'll do that. Whatever. That's not my thing. My thing that I'm trying to do is have people examine the things that they enjoy. I'm not here to tell you to stop enjoying what you enjoy. I'm here to tell you why you should think about the things that you enjoy. Okay. I love Indiana Jones and the last crusade. I could go off on why that's problematic.
0: I'm starting to think about the reasons. Yeah.
1: Okay. It's still my favorite movie.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. And there's tons of stuff that's, that's awful with the whole series but i still love it and i don't get yeah. defensive when people say uh all the different stuff oh, oh what about this oh this is vile Nah, that's really vile the nazis head melts at the end and that's <laughs> amazing like- <laughs>
0: that's kind of yeah that's kind of like the same line as like <laughs> uh along the same lines of when you enjoy trash reality TV, you know what it is? You make no compromise about what it is. Like
1: yeah. and and that's the thing. Like examine it, understand it, understand it in the context. But I have a hard time trying to take joy away from people unless it's something that's hurtful to others. You know, to to hit some of the greatest hits uh if you would. Like <laughs> when I was talking about representation. Yeah. Okay. So I have a video on representation and why it matters in fantasy and RPGs and entertainment stuff you know it's it's one of those things where again i i i I get a lot of hateful comments you know uh i got one recently that was uh said something like i i think it's sad that you can't relate to a character on a show unless they're the same race as you and i was like so that's like nowhere In that video do i even come close to saying
0: that (laughs) okay yeah it's like why are you projecting that onto me like
1: a bit of projection don't you think like that that's that's this is a moment where you should look at your own comment (laughs) and do some self-evaluation
0: turn the comments into a mirror
1: because number one i'm mixed i have never seen someone like me on a movie and i probably never will how many puerto rican koreans are there in the world i know of two They're my brothers.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, um, and in addition to that, like that was nowhere in it. And all I was talking about is the importance of diverse representation and what it does. And part of that was what it does white audiences the the seed that is planted in their minds as well and i think that that commenter was a little uncomfortable with the seed that had planted in his head
0: yeah and people don't like to confront things by themselves they want to lash out they want to blame other people yeah
1: and and you know the, the video immediately preceding that where i was talking about the history of poc in europe
0: black elves
1: and all that sort of stuff it's amazing I pull out all of these different historical research, cite all my sources, which I do in every video. Uh, you talked about the extensive bibliographies beforehand. Yeah. Um, I try to include the stuff that I'm talking about. Oddly enough, I have yet to receive a negative comment that cites a single source. <laughs>
0: Unsurprising.
1: surprising.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Do um, you think reply guys know what a bibliography is? <laughs> and,
1: and here's the thing. I, I'm like, if you have alternative sources,
0: let me know.
1: Like I included a bit inside of the POC in Europe video where I was talking about the concept of Black Vikings because Mm -hmm. I saw some places that were talking about Black Vikings. Oh, these these existed Black Vikings. However, I found what sources they were citing Mm -hmm. and found some books that they were citing, bought those books, actually read those books. And I was like, "Mm, this seems like a misinterpretation of the uh, statement here. That comes with a misunderstanding of Scandinavian history. Mm -hmm. So... To the extent of my knowledge, to the extent of the research that I could do, there were no black African Vikings. Okay. And I put that in there to show, look, I'm not just saying stuff because I think it was cool because what would be cooler than black African Vikings? I can't think of much. (laughs) that that sounds 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 pretty cool
0: yeah
1: yeah and i would love to have included that that would have been an amazing thing to include in that video but i couldn't because i couldn't find enough evidence that it was true so i didn't include it i only included things were pretty verifiable as true and yet people still tried to like, well, actually on some of the points that I was making and I was like, OK, cite your source.
0: Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is it's easy and you get perhaps a bit of a, a release, a cathartic effect or a bit of dopamine when you feel like you were telling someone and they believe you and you stand from a point of authority, even if you've done nothing to earn that authority. And that's a lot of what the replies are online. I think
1: that's another thing about content creation that people should know people are going to hate on you especially if you're a marginalized creator. It's so funny because I find myself in these um, D&D discords with other D&D YouTubers, most of which are pretty cool people, some of which are dirtbags, most of which are pretty cool people. Like 90% of the folks that are making content that you probably follow are probably decent people, rest assured, yay. I kept hearing these stories of like, oh man, I haven't got a negative comment yet. Oh, I can't wait till I get some troll. And I was like, I got a troll in my second video when I had less than 100 subscribers and that, Troll posted consistently vile things on nearly every one of my videos.
0: They subscribe just to hate.
1: And, And they seek you out, okay? Like other marginalized creators had commented about this person before or mm-hmm. that person like it's common names that keep my bio essentialism video had negative comments on it before it was released okay it was set to premiere the next day people yeah. were already downvoting it already putting negative comments already had a twitter thread of hating on it before the video was released no one had seen it but me i didn't even like have a because f- because you're right that my, my channel has boomed three times mm-hmm one of the videos was uh, the lawsuit that Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman had against Wizards of the Coast because of Dragonlance. Yeah. Because I was like, hey, a lawsuit. I know how those go. Yeah. And yeah contract you, I have things that I could provide because yeah. I literally saw another d d YouTuber say something like, my dad was an attorney, so I know how these things go. And he got like 80% of it wrong.
0: Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice, nice.
1: And I was like, oh my goodness. No, no. This is this is garbage. But uh you know, that was a, a small bump. The wheelchair accessible dungeon was another bump. And then bioessentialism was another bump. And every one of those have been accompanied by large amounts of um, trolls and stuff like that. Finding yeah. videos and saying their nonsense. Now, now that's not to say that the majority of comments are positive. The majority of comments are still positive. Because people yeah. are like, oh, wow, this is a really good argument. I mean, you, you got to have a certain thick skin. You got to laugh it off. But it was funny because I'm I'm in these discords and they were like, yeah. The d d community is so supportive.
0: For you, yeah. As,
1: as I look around and I'm the only person of color in this Discord, yeah. You know, how many, you know, marginalized individuals, like how many people of color do you see making videos, essays with their face on the screen? Now, let's get those and let's cut out, for instance, the uh, African-American population, because there's a good amount of solid creators that are starting to come out that show their that show their faces on the screen. I love that. and We should have more. But how many non white and then non-black content creators do you know making video essays who show their face on the
0: screen oh my god um video essays or just D D? let's go with video essays first video essays okay um gosh uh exactly moving into the <laughs> No, no, I, uh, am I allowed to, did you say no, no black people, right? Black people.
1: <laughs> well, when you say it like that, it sounds, uh, <laughs> that sounds terrible. Because, I do watch, you know, I
0: do watch a few black videos. Because names, I can
1: but, name like FD signifier. I can yeah, name, yeah. uh, T1J. I can uh, name, uh, Khadijah. Yeah, Khadijah. Um, um, so there's, there's a couple, there's not a ton and there should right. be more, right? Mm-hmm. But I can at least name a few. But when you, when you take out that small group of amazing black creators and look at other poc groups like how many asians yeah i how many how oh many?
0: uh banana Chan just started doing a lot of educational content <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely
1: um, yeah, and you and should,
0: uh, you should check her out if you love TTRPGs. She has some great content on YouTube.
1: I've subscribed and I've boosted the channel, both on my YouTube yeah. and on Twitter. So, um, yeah, awesome stuff, but, um, like it took a second, right? And, and yeah. how, many, how many, um, are in the TTRPG space? Like Asians represent jasmine yeah. obviously. It starts getting more, uh, in the generalized TTRPG space, but how much of that is the fact that we seek these out? Like I intentionally look for folks like that. You know, it's, it's one of those instances instances where i had the option early like i was brainstorming about my channel i was like i'm gonna put my face on screen and it's not because of a vanity issue although everyone who creates youtube content isn't uh attention hungry yeah <laughs> it's like you just want attention of course that's why i'm putting videos out on the internet it's I didn't yeah. I wouldn't put videos out on the internet. exactly like that's a given but um i wanted to make sure there was a face that that people would be like oh because i've been mistaken Mm. for a white person because of my voice oh because i didn't sound ethnic enough
0: oh dear
1: um it's amazing what type of comments you'll get as a uh, person with a phone-based job prior to being an attorney i I worked in a child support office Mm -hmm. phones that's sort of like a child support and uh you know, the amount of things that people will say to you because they don't realize
0: you're a person of color,
1: your person of color. Yeah. I think, oh, it's just between us type stuff.
0: Now. Oh, you're cool. Right. Anonymous white guy over the phone.
1: Um, So I wanted to make absolutely sure that my face was there. And it probably, you know, did it hurt my channel? Probably. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to think that it didn't. Um, There's a cynical part of me that thinks that it did. But I wanted to make sure that it was out there. I wanted to make sure that there was an example because I didn't see one.
0: Yeah, that's I think that can be that's got to be tough, Um, but not something that you haven't dealt with professionally before, I think, because I think we've talked before and you being one of the few. People of color where you work, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: in my previous job, I was one of only two Asians in the department.
0: Yeah. In
1: my current job, I am. i the only Asian in my. De- I'm the only Asian in my team. Um, I'm also like I'm one of two Hispanics on my team. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this team is much more diverse. <laughs> okay. Um, it's just you know there are not a lot of Asians in the legal field in Texas. Mm. You no. Know? I walked into a lot of courtrooms with a lot of people staring. Yeah. You know, Uh, I literally walked into a courtroom one time and this older white attorney looked at me and was like, Oh, look at the big city attorney. (laughs) It's just like, wow, wow. This is really happening. All right, Colonel Sanders. Let's do this.
0: (laughs) It's good. Oh,
1: so like and i like it wasn't like my suit was that nice and yeah i did come from san antonio and it's a pretty big city you know it's
0: that was because (laughs) he wanted to say the other thing yeah but we're in the courtroom wow yeah but you're in a courtroom (laughs) and holy shit so
1: yeah i mean it's put it out as something like this
0: is the reason um but, you
1: know, just be mindful of that. If you're if you're from a marginalized community and you want to get into content creation, people are going to be mad at you for existing.
0: Yeah. 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 I remember especially it was it was kind of weird, like making that transition for me being a pro GM, because like when I started seriously in January, I was one of the few like openly trans people in the space. And I was one of the openly queer people. And that's what people always comment to me when they either come play with me or they talk to me because of my platform about being a pro GM and like advancing like your career and stuff. All of the top GMs are like cishet white guys. Right. So um, one of the first things I wanted to do was to like try and reach out and find uh, more marginalized people, help them make a living doing that uh, and that's why i started my first like cohort for that uh some of whom you know and have worked with like like vj um but like a big part of is undergoing or like it's there's pockets of ttrpg that have yet to like take that first step of like actually being in an environment that is welcome welcoming to marginalized people and that's because they either haven't tried or If they've tried, they've done it in such a way is kind of toxic and like not actually good. If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If we, you you figured out what I'm putting down, like, hey, look at this marginalized person. We're cool, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've got, okay. I've been invited on a podcast before and they were like, we're looking to diversify our guests. They had 60 episodes. Guess how many people were not masculine presenting white people out of 60 there 60. were two white women on there. there was two white women, fifty eight dudes. No, I'm not your diversity higher for that. yeah, it's you've it's, picked your
1: path. it It is frustrating. It is frustrating because like a lot of my stuff, specifically, look at me, I'm marginalized. Like I do have a video specifically about being mixed race. That comes from my personal experience. One video, <laughs> okay and the rest of it isn't about that you know i touch on notions of race or lgbtq uh, issues and things like that it's it's not like i'm trying to say hey look at me or support me because i am support me because i am uh you know latino or asian or whatever support me because the content is good yeah. if you want to support more content from Latinate or um you know, Asian or whatever, then yeah. Like, hi, raise my hand. You know, I think there's this idea. All we ever do is talk about ourselves. That's, it's not the case. I get, I get, I get tired of it too. I get tired of talking about the plight of the Asian or the plight <laughs> of the Hispanic or whatever. I love yeah. this game. I love talking about stuff. I loved, you know, diving into issues and being analytical. And I think that presents in what I do, but, uh, it's hard sometimes because there is this little tickle in your brain that asks questions, you know, and that's 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 part of privilege that I think uh, people don't understand. One, that it's a horribly named concept, but two, the privilege is the the advantage of not having that voice in the back of your head um like for that email like you were just talking about they explicitly told you that you were being reached out to because they wanted to get that diversity higher so to speak and when they don't say that openly but you look back at the back catalog and it's you know 50 60 or 58 (laughs) monochromatic (laughs) cisgender
0: look like the president list like yeah
1: um you, you, you have that voice in the back of your head. You're curious, you know, and you don't want to. You don't want to assume that that's why. And then you have this internal struggle. It's like, should I do it? Use the exposure. It's really good. I don't want yeah. to be a token. That's, that's pretty bad. Um, yeah. Because... Ultimately, with any sort of content creator, you want to be recognized for your content. You want to be recognized for what you're putting, the work, But you got to worry about stuff like whether or not your face on the thumbnail is going to be a negative. That's exhausting. I don't want to think about that. I just want to make stuff. I want to make cool stuff. I want people to watch it.
0: Speaking of cool stuff, let's talk about your political power. That was (laughs) hyper fascinating to me and what inspired it.
1: Okay. So what inspired it was my background. Um, So I have a degree in political science. When post people hear about political science, they keep thinking about like, like oh so you you read about Capitalism and communism and Marx and Engels and John Locke and Thomas Hobbes and Leviathan and all that. I was like, no, we studied like political science is a wide field with so many things included into it. I studied empirical political science specifically with the direction towards uh, international relations and security because I went to college in that like directly post nine eleven world, right?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: When I think of politics or a political game. This is a very different thing than what people think it is and yeah. power and the way political power operate is something that I think most people don't understand.
0: Absolutely. I agree. Not only.
1: Okay. So it was also a little bit of a, a peek behind the curtain. I'm going to, I'm going to take the mask off for a second. Look at my channel and I've seen people do this. Oh, I don't like D and I'm not going to watch this guy's channel. I would love to tell you that I have a D and D youtube channel what i actually have is a video essay channel that has a tendency to use ttrpgs to teach people about topics they need to know about it's just a vehicle that i use to deliver the message my representation video has very little to do with ttrpgs (laughs) yeah um it's about the concept of representation my political video was a mix it was me kind of tipping my toes into both because I was like, people need to understand how political power works, both because it makes their games more interesting and because it makes politics understandable. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't understand how political power actually works, not the stories that people tell you on the news, not what politicians are spewing at you during the debates or an election season, but how it actually operates as a system. It makes watching real world politics make more sense. And it's one of those things where I get frustrated when I talk about politics with most people because they'll say something and I was like, well, none of that matters. I was like, how do you think that this issue that is the most important thing to me doesn't matter? And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not saying that it doesn't actually matter to you. I'm not saying that it's not an important issue. I'm just saying that when it comes to elections or political power, that's pretty meaningless. Yeah. Nobody, nobody actually cares. Okay. I, I, I'll use an example and I don't want to, I don't know if this is getting too political, but this kind of ties into it. No, about. go for it. Okay. Um, The democratic party during the last election in the United States pushed the idea that we needed to vote for more Democrats because mm-hmm we needed to pass protections for like Roe v. Wade to codify it in law. Uh, The immediate question is you had the house and the Senate and the presidency. Why didn't you do it when you had all the power? Because they wanted to retain power because the issue doesn't actually matter, but it does matter. Of course it matters. It's an incredibly important issue. It's materially one of the more important issues that we deal with in American politics. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter in the political game. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter when we're talking about political power it's a tool to get power you need to get power oh we're not power hungry we just want to improve the lives of our fellow human beings you have to be power hungry to do that
0: <laughs> it didn't come up as an item that they would push until it could be used as a vehicle to get people to vote for them
1: like people look at politicians and are like oh they're hypocrites is it hypocrisy they don't actually care like it's it's just it's 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 levers, it's buttons that they can push. The stories don't matter. Oh, why did this, uh... It's like, you know, when we hear about things in history, we're told a narrative. We don't realize it. We don't think about the news as being a narrative, our history textbooks as being a narrative. But they all are, okay? There's, There's mechanics that are going, okay? And everything has it. You know, why do we intervene in certain countries and send our military? But in other countries that are doing worse things, we don't. Well, there's a reason for that. Why is it that we get involved in some wars? Why is it that we promote certain regimes and we don't promote other regimes? Why is it that we supported this person and not that person? And on the surface, it seems hypocritical. It's like, wait a minute. The United States sent money and aid to a communist country in the 1950s? What? Weren't we supporting fascism? fascists and capitalists? Why were we supporting a communist? Because none of that actually mattered. It wasn't about capitalism, communism, fascism. What was in the interests? we gaining power. That's what matters. Everything else is just the sprinkling. Everything else is just the seasoning, the story that they tell you. And so the world makes a lot more sense when you when you understand the mechanics of it and your D&D world, your tabletop gaming world also makes more sense because there's a tickling notion in the back of your mind that understands that these kingdoms, that the city of Waterdeep or the political structure of the Forgotten Realms, any of that, like none of that makes any sense. And there's a part of you that understands that it's fiction because of it. There's a part of you that doesn't buy in because it's fantasy land. And that video was sort of like, this is how it really works. And there's competing theories. I I, I tried to explain that, uh, in anything that I do, like what I'm presenting is what I think is a compelling theory on empirical political science and how you can utilize it. And even so people didn't get it. Some people didn't get it. People like the, uh, like the politics video did pretty well. I immediately followed that up with an international relations video, which was basically a sequel. I saw this Twitter thread of a person who started bashing the video because I had a sequence where I explained liberalism. And I think that they assumed that liberalism and being a liberal in the American political sense were the same thing. And they are not. <laughs> <laughs> they are wildly different concepts Yeah, because you know different words have different meanings in different contexts mm-hmm. so like i was doing a juxtaposition of realism theory and um liberalism as a theory of international relations i don't know people didn't like that one yeah. as much and i got a lot of comments where it was like this one hit different this one felt different than the politics video. And I'm trying to like rack my brain as to what the difference was. And I think a little bit of it is that uh, the international relations video kind of touched on some points that made a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it, it made a lot of the notions, even more than the politics video, it made a lot of the notions of what we think about when we think about international relations seem silly. I, like, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> like, it's, it's when you study politics, the li- like, i did the world becomes a place that you understand better but you don't like as much
0: what are you working on now what's your new video that's probably out by the time this airs
1: yeah it should be knock on wood it should be out uh it's uh revolutions
0: oh interesting okay
1: it's a video on revolutions and rebellions how they Mm. happen why they happen why some succeed why most don't and the realities of what happens when a revolution does succeed.
0: Yeah, I think it's I this is something that I know a little bit about, at least in terms of like when I was studying how they worked for my job when I was in the Marine Corps, and the statistic probability that if there's a revolution or armed conflict in an area, and tell me if I'm wrong because you've just done research on this, there's a statistic statistical probability that it's gonna happen again in 10 years. And once you have that past the 10 year mark, percentage chance of it happening again drops drastically but you need to get past 10 years of the after the revolution or you have like another cyclical revolution is that true
1: well um we don't go into that specific concept but we do talk about like why a revolution will descend into another armed conflict and why some don't and it's very interesting i got um a couple of phds to Be on camera uh, Mm -hmm. through some Zoom calls, and uh, one of them is a professor from the Naval War College.
0: Oh wow! Okay,
1: and very generous with their time, and had phenomenal conversation. And I, you know, editing a video, it's just like I would love to put this entire hour and a half conversation in there, but
0: put put it on your Patreon. (laughs) You should just Um, put it unedited on your Patreon. As long as the guys go with it, maybe. Um, I, gotta I, I, yeah.
1: I gotta ask oh they're both um i mean come on they're they're
0: i i know but like i you know <sighs>
1: it's you, you know the field right it is <laughs> inundated with uh, white males um mm-hmm. i mean it's not their fault and you know i these are just people that i happen to yeah. uh, have connections with and were able to reach out to but uh even even so they incredibly insightful and uh it, it actually Got me a little bit because the professor was like, "Yeah, I watched a couple of your videos. You're real researched. You really make some solid nice. points." And I was
0: just like, "I just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. war college approved legal kimchi. Nice, like, feels it, good.
1: It it never gets old because I've had a couple of different college professors comment or reach out to me on Twitter. This is really good. And I, you know, there's a part of me that's just like this super elitist, and it doesn't matter, and all this sort of stuff. And there's another part of me that's <laughs> just feels like." Good.
0: Uh, what take is your w kimchi take yeah, your fucking like, w
1: <laughs> I, i'm over analyzing the compliments at this
0: point <laughs> no you you just want to be in the muck with all the shit turds and the grognards you're just like i don't deserve any of this
1: well i i think it it goes back to when I was when I was in undergraduate, I had mm-hmm. a couple of different options and I wanted to go to grad school and I couldn't get a professor to write me a letter of recommendation. Oh, no. And I had this sort of chip on my shoulder about it. And I ended up going to law school because I knew some attorneys who would write me letters of recommendation, but I didn't mm-hmm. know professors who would write me letters of recommendation. So I couldn't get into grad school and I went to law school instead. So there, I think there's a chip on my shoulder uh, that I didn't get my, you know, like master's degree in international relations and all that. Mm-hmm. Um But uh, I think it was it's interesting because I think the mix of my political science background and my legal background provide an interesting analytical lens that I apply in these videos that hopefully provide something that's significant that no one else is doing.
0: Wow. That's, you know, honestly, kimchi, that's that's so dope. Like, people are so fucking cool you know like the whole different experience that every person has and everyone coming to your table is bringing something very unique and special and especially like as a storyteller or as someone who can like educate other people like and you and i were like millennials so we're old as fuck on the internet right so like we've we've like seen and like done a bunch of different stuff so i think it's i just think it's really cool like that today we live in an age for however long before we're destroyed by the downfall of Elon Musk or whatever is on the horizon, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I think it's really cool that we can have such varied experiences in our lives now with globalization and stuff like that. And I think that's really cool. And I'm always very fascinated to, especially in tabletop, to learn more about people and how they got involved in their background. Because the people in tabletop are so varied, whereas it's, in other fields, I feel like you just kind of have that pipeline. And then that's a majority of the people in that field.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's a community or a, a group of people connected because they like to have fun in a silly way. Yeah. I love tabletop. Um, mm-hmm. Playing pretend. Why Why did we ever stop doing that? I didn't stop doing that. I, w- I want my kids to continue playing pretend well into advanced age. And you're right. We're old. I feel like I'm older than 90% of the people in the TTRPG space. Or the video essay space, for that matter.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, and... I'm not judging you. <laughs> I've, are you going to judge me for being alive? <laughs> <Judge away. laughs> I have no control over this. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's just, I do love that people come from different backgrounds and I think the different backgrounds provide different ways of approaching the same game. And I think that's fascinating. I mean, I, I look at folks like Matt Mercer and matt colville and uh uh cheng and uh from translator and mm-hmm. other dms that are out there jasmine you know and i see these vastly different styles and i can appreciate the talent and diverse points of view like take for instance matt mercer you know the the ooh, matt mercer love matt mercer oh it seems like it seems like a cool guy. Phenomenal dungeon master. I don't know if I've ever wanted to play in his game. Not, not style Not my style. And mm-hmm. a phenomenal game for the players in that game. Mm-hmm. Probably the best they could have. Not for everybody. And I think the mistake that we make sometimes, if it's not for me, it's terrible. I think Matt Mercer is a masterclass in the Matt Mercer style of DMing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: He is extraordinary. And he should be viewed as such. And the fact that that game isn't for everybody is not an insult. My game isn't for everybody. I get people keep on telling me, it's like, oh, you should. I, I, I don't know if what you expect from that. <laughs> um,
0: Lots of legal paperwork. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my games, my home games for my own players um, have a couple of key features. No one knows who the bad guy is. Two, nice. they're constantly confused.
0: Nice.
1: Okay in a sort of <laughs> what do we do next who are we helping i don't know that's, because,
0: a Ma- that's some machiavellian shit
1: <laughs> like my game is not about the soap opera drama my game is not about the heroes overcoming the ultimate evil and saving the world my game is this is a real open world and whatever you do will have an effect on the world
0: you're a simulationist
1: and my job as a dungeon master is to create the reaction of the world to you and like i don't prep adventures i don't prep dungeons. I don't I spend the week in between sessions. What is everybody doing now that this has happened? Well, these people don't know what there's what's going on. So they they're just going to continue with their work. But it's having a ripple effect in this particular area, and that's going to get notification back to this individual who has a certain level of power and is going to influence the events as such over the course of the next few days. Stuff like that. That that's what I do as my DM prep. Hence amount of time building up the world. I know who the NPCs are. I know where the monsters are. I know where the good guys bad guys guys whomever is and i know the various storylines are happening prep anything i just show up it's a different style the complaint that i've had sometimes is that there's no clear direction yeah because there is no clear direction
0: that's true you're accurate (laughs) you you figured it out (laughs) you know my secret
1: (laughs) i would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for
0: these (laughs) these inquisitive players (laughs)
1: um And that people are confused as who the bad guy is, which I think is the wrong question. Okay. Because there is no there's
0: no narrative.
1: The narrative is what you make of it. And I will that isn't to say that there aren't beats that aren't narrative moments, that there aren't things that's like hyper dramatic that are built up over time and over sessions, but it's something that's reactive and customized to the players and their actions from session to session, as opposed to me having a preconceived notion. I hate running adventure. I've, I've realized I've tried to run mega adventures that that Mm -hmm. has published twice now and both of the campaigns they were all right and that the players were like this is all right but they Mm -hmm. didn't have as much fun as when i was reacting and they had no idea what was going to happen yeah and they they were like oh my goodness uh pull out the notes i can't remember this person's name (laughs) (laughs) because there are 37 different people we've met
0: (laughs) yeah you know, and I'm and... sure there's a style of collaborative play there too that's really fostered by your style that you are like allowing to happen because that's sort of like very deep investigative or inquisitive play. I can't prepare because I haven't built a world that in-depth. So my table wouldn't support that. Mm-hmm. My table supports a narrative. My table supports like horror elements and narrative generally depending mm-hmm. on what I'm running. And I you know, I set tone and I have story beats like an HBO show. I don't have like a living world that you can go anywhere and do anything.
1: Yeah. Like there was one point where my players were in, um, this, this fantasy kingdom that was going through a civil war and an invasion at the same time.
0: <laughs> oh no.
1: Um,
0: confusing. I don't know
1: who to help. What's going on? What's this area on the map? Because I have a map. um, And I was like, oh, that's that's the grass plains. Um, Various monsters roam there. And uh, the main profession is actually monster hunting where people go and hunt them like game. Can we just like abandon this and go there?
0: (laughs) Absolutely monster hunting campaign begun
1: yeah like completely like complete tonal shift of the campaign complete different storyline and they ended up not doing it but i was like i'm yeah i'm prepped for that like if you want to go over there absolutely because then they got like kind of used to it and uh, in the second campaign they were like what if we just left on this ship and went to somewhere completely else in the world and i was like yeah go for it and so they did it and i was like okay now you're here and these are all the different Things that you you know learn about. Oh, and then you meet this one person at the port. This is a different you know culture that resides here. And by the way, you don't speak this language. Wait, we speak common. They don't speak Iberian common here. They speak the common of Teremijana. That's a different common. Because you're in a different country now and they speak a different language with a different history, and none of you pick that one. And you could have, because I've like, I make my players when they say, Oh, I speak common, it's like you speak the regional common of where you're born. There is no universal language here. I think you know?
0: sometimes that's presented as like a barrier for getting to the story, but the way that I'm interpreting this, and correct me if I'm wrong, you really like to embrace multiculturalism and present Mm -hmm. that as a big part of the story as well
1: because they learned and so the second campaign some of them learned multiple forms of common
0: yeah, And
1: I'm loose with my language rules in that other people can, like, you can learn a language over time. You know, it's not just like a die roll. Right. So you can learn another language. I mean, if, you, if you're if you entrenched and you study, you can learn, like, basic communication, you know, yeah. over time and stuff like that.
0: And that's definitely, like, that's removing, like, sometimes there's mechanical <laughs> barriers. There's written barriers in place because the game was originally conceived to be played a certain way. Mm-hmm. But if you want to homebrew away and, like, do stuff like that, in order to open up more possibilities with your story then absolutely Mm -hmm. of course that's a good idea
1: I mean, I had a circumstance where it was like, oh, but I speak Elven, Sylvan Elvin. You don't speak High Elven, And if you're on a different continent, they don't speak anything related to that type of Elven mm-hmm. over there because it's a different culture over here. It's not just Elves. It's the Elves of this nation or whatever, you know, and maybe the Elves don't have a distinctive language in this particular country because they've intermixed with all the other cultures there. They've created their own language over time because that's how cultures work. People forget Latin languages that spans from from spain to romania Mm -hmm. all of the languages in between are latin based but they're different and you kind of get some words and you kind of don't but then in romania you cross over a few miles and they're speaking slovak languages or slavic languages sorry so they're not even speaking and, and it's a wildly different base crossed over a river and uh you know like korean chinese and even saying something like chinese is like well which chinese but there's vast differences between the two languages vast vast differences i can't like i can speak a bit of korean i can't even come close to understanding uh like mandarin there's there's no relationship <laughs> like i
0: yeah, I think that it depends on your framework then, like as a storyteller, like what is, how are you framing the learning of languages and how are you framing all these different cultures? If you are presenting them in such a way to be different and it is a barrier, well, what does it take to break down those barriers? What does it take to actually learn the language And experience that culture is that a journey that's going to be fun along the way for your players how Mm -hmm. can you make it fun and how can you if you have like you know someone who's a gamer someone who's more of like an achiever or how are you going to make them happy at the same time Mm -hmm. um and i think that's an interesting very interesting question when we when i talk to gms who have a very different storytelling style because i think for me my hesitation with doing something like that deep dive is like it's going to really fuck with my pacing (laughs) (laughs) so like for me like i would have to care really carefully construct something like that but um yeah, switching to um, I think this feeds perfectly into uh, the Vineyard, our standard plug for my podcast, um, which yeah, yeah. you of which you are a contributor of. If you would like to kind of tell us what you're contributing, um, and both parts, so we have your your NPC Lieutenant, the Solicitor, and then we're also looking at some additional areas in contract legality. And some of the sort of ins and outs of our conversation that we had. Outlining contracts and how basically I've just created an American corporation. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. It was funny because you showed me the contracts uh, that you set up. It's like, yeah, it's this evil criminal organization, and I was like, this is more lenient than a standard corporate contract. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did
0: my best to be evil, okay, Kimchi. <laughs> it's
1: like your level of evil has
0: nothing on reality. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant uh, to be fun, is why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: And that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, obviously it's bringing in a little bit of my legal expertise, but, uh, in a fun way. And it's, it's not trying to, it's trying to get it correct enough. It, it does feel official. It feels real because it is, um, but not so real. It's no longer fun.
0: Yeah. It's bogged down by the minutia and like, you know, role playing, you know, in the courtroom for six sessions. Like,
1: yeah, like, like part of my job is literally arguing about like two or three words and, and, a sentence for like 30 minutes, um, because of different interpretations of what a a word here, a word there says, but fine for my job. Not for the game, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: but it but we do want to make sure that people are paying attention to the wording and that people are knowledgeable and that it feels like an official legal document. And it kind of ties into the lieutenant because, you know, maybe it's typecasting or whatever. But uh, so my lieutenant, as you pointed out, is a solicitor, and uh, you had this phenomenal um kind of that you provided to us, and uh, one of it was like, what's what's a quote that the lieutenant would say?" And the, the quote for the solicitor is, I am technically correct. And isn't that the best kind of correct?
0: <laughs> yeah, this is this is the NPC that all GMs use to troll their players. This is the <laughs> rule lawyer's lookout. If your GM picks up the vineyard, this is but, what they're going to get trolled with. Exactly.
1: And it was kind of designed as such, because I'm not as much of a rules lawyer, oddly enough. enough in the <laughs> actual,
0: um... You mean you don't go to your fantasy game to experience the monotony of your daytime job? <laughs> Come on now
1: but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's i did want to create this character who is sort of a, a a rebuttal of the rules lawyer while also padding the rules lawyer on the back a little bit because of its uh abilities work with technicalities you know because that's the whole thing with rules lawyers like well technically speaking you know um and it's all interpretation and there's a reason why they call it rules lawyer because there's a level of lawyering that goes into that and i thought hey is there a way that we can mechanize technicalities is, is that is there a way that we could gamify a technicality as a part of it and i think that 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 idea was sort of the of the solicitor it's funny that you even mentioned this i was talking to my partner about this and like a few hours ago and uh um, she asked like what 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 did you create and i was like well i created this this thing with the solicitor and i explained the powers and all of that and she's like that's a really fun idea <laughs>
0: What, yeah, one of the, um one of the and what kimchi is specifically talking about in regards to the stat block and like a lot of the powers associated with the the solicitor is that there there's a unique feature a unique ability that the solicitor has (laughs) called the word of law and if they use the word of law whatever they say actually true for a period of time that they determine so Mm -hmm. for instance the solicitor determines no piercing weapon can harm me that is actually how the world shapes itself around the solicitor due to their power the word of law that you can no longer harm the solicitor with piercing weapons
1: i think the example that i uh, initially thought of was uh, no metals can touch me
0: oh yeah 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 so yeah, no metals. Funny.
1: Yeah. How do you, as a fighter,
0: like you still
1: get your spells and all that sort of stuff, but how do you as yeah. a fighter, someone where metals can't touch them? Because it's not like, it's like, Oh, but magical items can hit. No, 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 Magical items are still metal. They still don't touch. Um. So how do you solve that problem? Like, let's say you have this giant metal hammer, you wrap it in a towel there's no longer being touched by metal. So like, it's a technicality to get around the statement of the word of law. So it creates this thing for DMs; They can create a statement that appears to be impossible to overcome. Mm -hmm. And then the rules lawyer is like, well, technically speaking, and I'm that, that's the player. That's the player (laughs) that's going to save the whole (laughs) part.
0: Yeah. Finally, they have risen to power. (laughs) So, so it's,
1: it's, like I said, it's it's the rebuttal and also the, you know, pat on the back for the rules lawyer, because the, the way to defeat the solicitor is through the technicality. And I think it, it allows a certain level of freedom um, to the DM because you're going to know your players, hopefully. <laughs> you can create this instance that is tailor-made for your own party's rules lawyer.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's such a fun concept. And I, <clears throat> I'm i really looking forward to uh, seeing how that's utilized and seeing the comments and the feedback, especially for that. And another part of, it's really the crux, the supplement in a lot of ways is the contracts and the freedom that we want to give people uh, while they're d- sort of designing these campaigns are choosing to input the vineyard the supplement is really designed to be able to be used as little or as much as someone would like so we have everything from the control of necromancy through the vineyard which is sort of funneled through uh these people who are going to make you sign a contract in order to acquire a diamond and that contract states like hey the this is the catch with the diamond this diamond might only resurrect you for twenty four hours, it's like a payday loan,
1: and and that's that's another thing where part of the reason why I love the concept of the supplement and what I've been able to see from the other creators who are all phenomenally uh, talented is like I said before, this, this is the type of thing that I could plop into my world because it's not a, like a huge overarching. Hard narrative uh, campaign, but I could so easily grab the vineyard and put it into my world and have it have a ripple effect across it. I, like personally, I can't wait till the sim comes out so I can just do that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think this is the type of supplement that translates really well to different styles of gameplay because it gets you the plot hooks, it gives you the, like the ideas. You can have these little adventures that interact with them. You have the contracts. You have all the tools you need. Go into a more formalized structure and build it out like you do be more freewheeling and kind of open world, uh, like in my game. So, I mean, they can interact with them. They may never interact with them. They may see the after effects of someone else's contract going wrong and then decide to investigate it themselves. You know, it's, it's just, there's so much possibility with it and it doesn't tie you down to a certain style either. That's
0: yeah, we're, we're absolutely, we're including locations and then we're including those plots. We are, looking at including the adventure introductions um the full adventures i think will be a separate uh, either supplement or stretch goal um we're looking at stretch goal right now and i'm uh just ecstatic about the people that we have lined up for those full adventures should we reach those stretch goals and how did you do that by the way i keep looking at the people involved in this thing and i'm just like why am i in the room with these people this is amazing <laughs> um cold emails (laughs) lots of cold emails um it, it was mostly just like i think and this is okay we're gonna go tangent ttrpg business so really to do business within any like freelance market i think a majority of it is like okay what do freelancers need? Freelancers need money. They would like respect, but they don't need respect because sometimes they'll work jobs that they don't like for more money, right? And then sometimes they'll work for like prestige or something like that. And a lot of the time it's just like, are they cool or do they like the people that are involved or the people involved say? A lot of the time it's really just momentum based, I think, for business in a lot of ways. And TTRPG is no different. So Even though I haven't run a major project before, because I was lucky enough to have a good work relationship with Michaela Ebel it really opened up a lot of doors for me because I had a good working relationship with Jasmine that means when I emailed Gabe Hicks about it Gabe Hicks knew who I was and responded and said yeah this sounds dope and then because Gabe Hicks was on the project it just opens all these other doors you know what I mean so it's like it's one of those things where it's very momentum-based and I honestly emailed a bunch of people not expecting anybody to get back to me but everyone said yes so now everybody's in the book.
1: (laughs) Joke's on you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, joke's on me. Now I am producing this fantastic product. But yeah, about like the solicitor and all of that stuff, I am super excited about the things that we're going to provide people to use at their tables, including the contracts. And low-key, this is interesting for you, especially kimchi and perhaps our listeners i talked with our manufacturer they they're going to do contracts we can we're going to have pamphlets of rip outable contracts uh with parchment (laughs) with the print of like the generic like the boilerplate and then you can write in what you need um so we're going to have like stuff like that as part of like the offering as a value add as well
1: I, oh my goodness that's what i miss about modern D supplements is the little stuff like that yeah the tokens the 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 rip out papers and stuff oh
0: yeah it's we're we're also looking at doing like um fancy quill pins and stuff for uh the contracts to be signed with and <laughs> so just silly stuff like that that like thematically really brings players in um and of course vtt options and stuff like that but like you know we, we gotta we gotta think about like the 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 actual stuff that needs to get manufactured, all the VTT stuff, that's way easy as far as like delivering the product, you know. You email it to people. So. Uh, w-
1: w- will there be tiny vials of red ink?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, that's an interesting idea. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if our manufacturer produces tiny vials of red ink. Um, uh, but we'll have I, to take just, a look.
1: I just made the product marginally more expensive tonight. <laughs>
0: No, I'd have to take a look. I don't, I don't know. Um, we're going to have to look into like all of that though and see see how things uh, buff out. But yeah, um, kimchi, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fun. A long while. Even if this gets edited down, I think it's still going to be like 90 minutes at least. Um, so that's perfect because I love talking with you. This is great. Um, before we before we break here, do you want to talk about some of the stuff that you would like to uh, link? We'll put it in the description.
1: As, min- as I mentioned before, I make video essays over on YouTube, YouTube dot com slash legal kimchi. And you can find me on Patreon, Patreon com slash legal kimchi. Uh, it's one of those things where, look, I'm not telling you to to donate to the Patreon Um, unless you have the means to do so and would like to support that type of content. Um, I'll be making the videos regardless. It just helps me out. It helps me, you know, justify the time and effort because these things are huge time sinks. Um, And I hope that it comes out the final product. It's, content that i think will make you think in the ttrpg space and outside of it you know i I am planning on doing videos that aren't necessarily related to ttrpgs as well i'll always be doing videos in ttrpgs but you know just whatever topics interest me tickle my fancy um so if you like that if you like deep thoughtful analytical content from youtube it's so helpful little thung little things like uh just subscribing it's free to you and it makes my day
0: and leave a nice comment leave a nice comment
1: like comment and subscribe smash the like button
0: folks (laughs) you're the last youtuber i'm bringing on this podcast i'm just kidding all right thanks folks um yeah i'll uh, see you next time